Welcome to 35 West. I'm Ryan Berg, director of the Americas program at CSIS and host of the 35 West podcast. With how professional the Mexican but government are we ready? I don't reform think. trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. Linked by trade, commerce, and shared democratic institutions, the partnership between Panama and the United States has held fast and allowed both countries to reap significant benefits. Trade between Panama and the United States has doubled under the CAFTA Free Trade Agreement, while the Panama Canal remains an important global trade artery. Furthermore, as the United States looks to nearshore critical industries and reorient supply chains towards the Western Hemisphere, Panama boasts natural advantages and a robust network of free zones and industrial parks which could make it an indispensable asset to these efforts. However, beyond any economic factors, Panama's commitment to democracy, including as a founding member of the Alliance for Development and Democracy, alongside Costa Rica and the Dominican Republic, is truly what cements the importance of the U.S.-Panama partnership. This shared democratic DNA means cultivating a closer partnership between the United States and Panama should be seen as an important and necessary step towards developing shared responses to the mounting challenges in our hemisphere. To help unpack the current state of play for U.S.-Panama relations, as well as future directions and opportunities, we are truly honored to be joined today by Hanaina Tawani, Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Panama. Having previously served as Minister of Government of the Republic of Panama, Hanaina has extensive experience in guiding and leading both the internal and international policy of Panama. In this episode, we will take stock of opportunities for closer cooperation in the U.S.-Panama relationship, with a special focus on some of the current and emerging challenges our two countries face, and what both Panama City and Washington can do to meet these challenges together. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast, Minister. Thank you very much. I'm really, really glad to be here in Washington, representing my country, obviously, and talking to you and the audience about what Panama can do and what Panama is doing and the the strong relationship we have with the United States. Let's start there. The United States and Panama have a storied relationship with a strong cooperation on a number of issue areas. Could you begin with a scene setter for our audience? What, in your view, are the key issues impacting the U.S.-Panama relationship? Our relationship is very special. It has been very special because we are the only country in mainland and Latin, Latin, the continent, mainland continent, that has shared a very long history uh, with the United States. As you can see and you know, the United States was around 100 years in Panama. But at the same time, we have common values. That's, I think, one of the most important, let's say, strongholds of the relation. We have so much in common because at the same time, we share common challenges, security challenges. When countries share security challenges and share security programs and agendas, you can see that the relation tends to be more tends to be more intimate. And that is the relation we have with the United States. Definitely throughout history we had our challenges. But at the end there were two leaders in the 70s, Jimmy Carter and Omar Torrijos that could visualize the importance of the long term and the relation between Panama and the United States, I could say, is a good example for diplomacy and conflict resolution 
that can reach to a very successful story. And the successful story, story right now is Panama. Why? Because we are a light for democracy in Latin America. As you can see, we are a lighthouse for democracy. We venerate democracy and stability. But that doesn't come just, you know, out of the blue. That comes with strong institutions and fast and strong economy. When the United States agreed to give the canal back to Panama, immediately we gained two things. A long-term special relationship. So the United States understood that we'll have a strong ally in Latin America, and at the same time, the U.S. gave the chance to Panama and to the Panamanian people to develop its industry and take advantage of that. That gave us a strong advantage economically. And that, as a consequence, economy, development, democracy, give us a beautiful story in the continent. And the numbers are showing currently that Panama is one of the fastest growing economies in Latin America, but at the same, the numbers are showing that we have the best uh, perspective for growth uh, for the next few years and stability, especially stability. So I, I believe um, the relation, as I said, is historic, is intimate. And there are many things we are advancing right now, but you can see also that throughout time, different challenges, Panama is always there and the U.S. is always there for Panama. Currently, you can see, for instance, that there are this new concept, well, it's not new concept, but the new, the new uh, uh, near shoring and, and French shoring and the rerouting of maybe probably the, the supply chain close to the United States of uh, specific and critical and sensitive areas uh, of production, you can see that Panama robust logistic hub that is surrounding the Panama Canal, again, can serve for that purpose. So we feel that, again, the sky's the limit and the relation has scope and, and potential to grow even deeper. Let's talk about Panama's role in the formation of the Alliance for Development and Democracy, which is a very interesting partnership that was launched in September 2021 between the leaders of Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, and Panama. Since then, Ecuador has been added as a member. What were the factors that drove Panama to become a founding member of this alliance, and what efforts have been undertaken since the fall of 2021 to work towards the dual goals of promoting economic prosperity and safeguarding democratic institutions? Yes, and I will connect the, the previous question with this one. I told you that in Panama, we, we cherish democracy and we venerate stability. We have seen how democracy and stability has given a direct uh, result in economic progress for the country. We feel that in the region, there are other countries that share our values. And we started with Costa Rica and Dominican Republic that Geographically, if you see it in the map, it's an interesting triangle. We could understand that the three of us could coordinate with the U.S. and, and other countries that share the same values and, and goals and aspirations. So we could bring to our countries investments and very related to nearshoring and friendshoring. At the same time, we could see similarities with Ecuador and the intention to bring forces so we could bring also the attention to, to, to our main partners and pivotal actors in the, in the region. 
And that's how we did it. We have celebrated, I think, six six forums. The last one was in, in Ecuador and the next one will be in my country, in Panama. And Panama is currently requesting the economic pilot. You see the, the, the ADD, the Alliance for Development and Democracy, has three pilots, main pilots, and, and the economic pilot is one of those that Panama think we can bring so much to the table in, in, with regard to the economic, due to the logistic, um, dynamic economy we have. So yes, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a coordination, very flexible group of countries that share similar values and goals and aspirations. We've seen a worrying trend of declining support for democracy throughout the hemisphere, often tied to the notion that democracies haven't provided for their citizens adequately. To what extent does the Alliance for Development and Democracy look to push back on that notion and show that democracy can indeed deliver on issues like economic opportunity? I believe the best way to do it is leading by example. We, as you can see, Panama is, as I explained to you, we have very... And this is not me, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Panama, telling you. I can tell you that the World Bank and the Inter-American Bank, they have given very positive projections and perspectives for the country. We have currently one of the, I think, the lowest inflation rate in the continent. We might be growing 2023 more beyond 5%, but I want to be conservative and I, I think it's going to be 5%. And we have uh, a very dynamic economy currently. We want to be part also of probably the CHIPS Act. We want to be part of the new opportunities that the new geopolitical dynamics are bringing to the new world. And the new world is the Ford Revolution, the, the, the artificial intelligence. Now, what can we do with our neighbors? I want to tell you a bit about my country and how special this is. Panama is historically South American. Historically South American. Geographically, we are Central Americans. And culturally, we are Caribbeans. But at the same time, our country is the only country, as I told you, in the continent that has shared a long relationship parallel with the United States. So we become the natural, organic interlocutors with every sub-region of the continent. Therefore, for us, dialogue, consensus, and mediation is very important. And how can you achieve that if you are an example? How can I talk about peace if I don't have internal peace? How can I tell my brothers and my sisters in Latin America that democracy is important if I don't have strong institutions. So leading by example is very important for us. And we can see it when we talk with the other leaders. I think Panama should always remain a safe, safe space for dialogue. And we have done that role before. And it's convenient for everyone. It's convenient for the U.S. and it's convenient for, for the other Latin American countries. So how? How can we help? I don't think, I think pushing back will not be the, probably the word, but the role that Panama is meant to, to play is very linked to the geography and the responsibility as a custodian of the Panama Canal. And then I'm going to go again to, to this idea of, do you know, did you know that Panama is the only country in the world that is not a declared neutral country, but holds inside its territory 
and neutral space by international law, which is the Panama Canal. And international law mandates us to be neutral no matter what. Therefore, our foreign affairs have to be very balanced always, very delicate, and there is always a thin line. So for us, the most important thing is dialogue and complete, complete leadership by example. Our shared hemisphere faces rising challenges across the board, from security to environmental risks and the ongoing consequences from the COVID-19 pandemic. Addressing these, as you've mentioned, Minister, requires close cooperation between like-minded allies. I want to talk for a second about environmental cooperation. This is an area where Panama has undertaken significant efforts, especially with respect to marine conservation. We saw the other day that the blue bond issue uh, with the launch of a new task force to counter illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing as well. How is Panama working to strengthen international cooperation on environmental issues? Yes, again, is for Panama, the environmental protection is a matter of survival. It's not a trend. We are, we are not into it just because it's, you know, trendy. I must tell you why. We have taken a very bold decision recently. Uh, when the world was expecting every country to protect the marine protected areas by 2030, the mandate was that by 2030, countries should have protected 30% of their marine areas. Uh, Panama did that before, nine years before. But then we went beyond. We decided we want to protect 54%. Then we have taken bold actions about the forest protection. We are protecting by now 68% of our forest land. And why I tell you about a matter of survival. We are living in an era of common globals. You know, Whatever happens in Amazonas will impact all of us. The environment and the atmosphere is one. If you are harming the environment, the impact will be every, in some other area. For instance, we are a carbon negative country, but we have, uh, we were talking about exotic San Blas, right? We have uh, the first community in Panama, in the continent, that has to be displaced because they have lost their land because due to, due to climate change. But there's something more crucial, the Panama Canal. The Panama Canal is the only administered canal that is fed by fresh water. If you see Suez Canal, needs only the sea, sea water. We, are, we feed our locks and our canal from fresh water. And where is that water coming from? From the rain, because we have nine months of rain. So tropical rainforest and protection of our rainforest is not only is crucial for our survival. The Panama Canal it's responsible for 6%, 6% of the world trade. Imagine. So we hold in our shoulders a very strong responsibility, a huge responsibility to the world. What is happening right now in Darien? You have not mentioned that, but I want to jump into it. Why? Because Darien National Forest is one of the, it has been throughout history, a sacred and deep as deep as Amazonas, and is the lung of Central America. But no, not many people talk about Darien. Everyone talks about Amazonas and how we protect Amazonas, but Darien is the lung of Central America. So how, how do we do to protect that? We see constantly now migrants crossing through it, opening paths, pathways that were not there before. 
and we have started seeing the impact that is causing into our forests. We want to remain a country that continues uh, carbon negative. We want to continue protecting our environment. But right now, we also need the help of the international community and main actors to stop this migration that is damaging our forests. Another major concern has been the rise and expansion of transnational organized crime throughout the region. How is Panama working to ensure citizen security amid a resurgence of criminal organizations throughout the hemisphere? Currently, and you are an expert in terrorism also, and I'm going to make an analogy here. We see very often how international crime diversifies its economy according to the convenience of the moment. Currently, organized crime is using illegal migration to it. It's easy to smuggle one migrant than smuggling one kilo of cocaine. So imagine, this is the, the, the sad situation right now. So they are diversifying their economy because obviously the war on drugs is affecting them. It risks their life. Now it's easier for them to take advantage of vulnerable people who are planning to migrate in gray zones where there is no complete control. What's happening now is that the U.S. and Panama have been very proactive about this. And we have always been, by the way. The, the Panamanian, especially the government of, of President Laurentino Cortizo Cohen, has been very, very, let's say, bold about actions to disrupt organized crime in, in the, the, our area of control. This government has historic records of drug interdiction in the history of Panama and the history of the relation and the, the cooperation between the United States and Panama. Now, our cooperation, security cooperation program is also expanding to the illegal migration, migration because of what I have just told you, that the organized crime is now linked to illegal migration. We have started a very strong uh, operation with the Ministry of Security and the United States too, called um, Operación Choco. And there we have started... Uh, acting internally in the, the, the territory where we have control, persecuting uh, those members of the organized crime. And in some cases, we have had some exchanges in which they have lost their life, but we have to take control of the territory. We are not going to allow this kind of business to take over or to even have some presence in our country. We will fight it, and we are very thankful to the United States, but we need more support. And we have been traveling uh, very often to Washington to continue coordinating and requesting more, more efforts and probably equipment to combat and fight this, this, the organized, organized crime in, in Latin America and in Panama specifically. Well, while there are significant challenges that we need to confront together, the future of U.S.-Panama relations remains extremely bright with a number of mechanisms for both countries to fortify cooperation on key issues and build new partnerships in emerging areas. Minister, you've mentioned already the macroeconomic shifts that are taking place in the, the global economy in recent years, as well as the push by the United States to nearshore and friendshore some of its supply chains, an area where Panama should be a critical partner. What advantages does your country offer in terms of nearshoring, and what do you think is needed to unlock the full potential of this opportunity? Right. Currently, as you know, geography is the, the biggest advantage, not just because due to geography, we have the Panama Canal and we have developed a very robust uh, logistics center. As you can see, there are many, many international companies investing in Panama. That's positive. Uh, 
But at the same time, um, I believe there are other challenges that we need to overcome. Therefore, uh, the investment and the focus should be on people, probably education. We already know that the new technologies that are already here, we are not going to are linked and related to high-tech high and high levels of education. We, we believe that the collaboration should shift now into education, training, and probably, um, definitely, there are some other challenges that we are facing that, that we believe, too, we will uh, successfully um, overcome, such as the FATF gray list. Why I tell you about this? Because the United States plays a very important role in this group. And uh, we are special partners. We, we are a country that have already taken bold decisions towards transparency that other countries have not taken. Huh? Now, what happened here? The technical work is done. Politically, the decision has to be taken. And we're working on that. We are very optimistic that Panama, Panama 3.0, I call it, why I, I call it 3.0? Panama 1.0 is the separation of Colombia. Panama 2.0 is complete control over the territory and uh, control over the canal. What do we do now with Panama 3.0? Panama 3.0 is that unequal country. We have macroeconomics, you see. Good numbers. But what about the territory? We are very unequal. Inequality and democracy are a challenge. You know? in, in democracy, we need to grow also together. Now, I want to tell you that this is the first time that our government has given, the first time that the, in, the, in the history of a democrat, democracy in Panama, that there is such a strong investment, social, you know, in the social network, in, in people. Why I tell you this? Because democracy is not only voting every five years. We have that wrong concept that, well, it was a democracy. And this goes hand by hand with shared values with the United States and how the U.S. can cherish that too. How can you cherish that? You empower those countries that are following the path of democracy and those countries that are strengthening institutions. What is the meaning of strengthening Institutions providing budget to the judiciary so the judiciary can be independent. Again, this is the first time in, in history where a government is giving for first time the budget that the judiciary is requesting. But what is democracy? Democracy is inclusion. This is the first time in history where women are equally treated in the cabinet. And we have the 45% the of women in cabinet, historic. It used to be two or three women only in the cabinet. This is the first time, and you have said it, this is, I'm a young, I'm the youngest also minister of foreign affairs in the continent. But inclusions mean, for, for President Cortizo, is including the youth also. And why the youth is important. All of us here are very young. Speak for yourself, minister. <laughs> you too. I'll tell you something. The first industrial revolution was around 200 years ago, right? And the changes were huge for the humanity. Then the second revolution came, okay, electricity, then the computers. But have you noticed that the last two changes, the two revolutions that we have had, which is now the, the technological revolution, have changed drastically the world compared to 200 years ago? Why is it so that currently 
the changes are faster, that we are not even able to react to the changes. And only the youth will understand that easily. I'm sorry, but it's true. So including the youth in decision makings today, today specifically due to the, fa and the, the, the global scenario that we have is really important. This is also part of the strength in democracy. And also, and finally, I will not take more, but we can only lead by example. You need to talk, if you want to talk about peace in the continent, you need to learn to clean the house and learn to work with everyone in your country. And that's the balance we always talk about. How do we expect the United States to see this? We expect that those countries that have been always there are cherished. We should never take each other for granted. We have always been partners. We are very relevant to each other. But international relations is very much like normal relations. If you don't call me, if I don't call you, if you don't give me love, if I don't give you love, the relation will become very cold. So it's the same here. It's the same here. We, we, and we are doing this, huh? by the way. This is the first time that we have so many high-level visits to Panama from the United States and, and vice versa. This is my fifth trip to D.C., imagine. Let's talk about uh, those, those relationships, and I'd be remiss, Minister, not to ask you at least one question uh, about China. And I promise I'm not going to ask you who sends more flowers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a country that works and trades uh, extensively with both the United States and China, how is Panama thinking about navigating a world which is increasingly shaped by great power competition? What should U.S. policymakers know about the China-Panama relationship that is often lost in these kinds of conversations that we have in Washington? This is very important because we understand in this new, let's say some people call it new Cold War. I don't think it's a new Cold War, but it's, there are tensions between two powers. There is a big difference. A few years ago, when the tension was with Russia, United States and Russia didn't have so much commercial exchange. Currently, the situation is that U.S. and China have a possible tensions, but there is a lot of uh, commercial exchange between them. And the Panama Canal benefits from that too. Imagine the route between the, the U.S. and China has increased the, the numbers of ships crossing the canal, so we benefit. Therefore, with that, I'm telling you and giving you the answer. For us, it is crucial to keep the commercial ties as the U.S. does, with China, but also the diplomatic ties. As I told you, we are the only country in the continent that has the capacity to articulate with every sub-region, the U.S. and the world. When countries come to Panama, they say, oh, you, Panama will become the hub of this country in the Americas. So we are a natural also organic interlocutor with, with other regions. Very recently, you talk about China, but I want to tell you also about India. Very recently, we got the first visit of a Minister of Foreign Affairs of India to Panama. And Dr. Jay Shankar came to Panama and he said, Panama should be the hub of India and Latin America. And obviously, every other country sees Panama as a hub because of the, the capacities, the logistic capacities we have. And the, we have a dollar, inflation, etc., etc. We have a very friendly environment for investment. So yes, we have those trends. We use it. And that's the interest of the country. But we are also very clear about the crucial relation we have with the U.S. Um, we are very clear about the geopolitical dynamics currently. So we use very well our capacities, but you also, I will just remind you again that we are a country that holds a canal that is neutral by international law. 
and we need to keep it open for trade. And that's good because a, a world with trade and supply chain is a world in peace. Minister, is there something that we did not cover in this episode? Is there anything else that you would like to highlight or add? Well, I want to tell you that um, Panama is, is a very special country, not because I'm the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Panama, but as you can see, geography have craft our destiny. And uh, we understand very well that our destiny is to serve the world through globalization and commerce. And we are, especially President Cortizo is doing big efforts to strengthen institutional, the institutions, but also to bring Panama 3.0, that version, into transparency and openness to the world. The Panama that you will know very soon and that you will start listening right now will not be not even similar to that Panama of the Panama Papers that were that name, first of all, was very unfair to our country. We are taking bold actions towards transparency and we will show the world that we are ready, ready to host companies, investment, and that we are balanced, stable, and we are a lighthouse for democracy. And that stability has no price in peace and prosperity. So I just want to tell you, I want to thank you, thank those who were listening today and um, especially uh, tell you that uh, the relation between the United States and Panama will remain very intimate because geography will impose those, those destinies. Hanaina Tawani, Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Panama, thanks for joining us in 35 West today. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. For you, thank you for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.